Lovely. So page 1139 in the Chapel Bibles, uh, Romans chapter 12. It's not a very long chapter, so I'm going to read the whole thing. Uh, I won't preach through every verse, you'll be pleased to know, because uh, <laughs> I've been here for several years, but I'm going to read it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a person's gift is prophesying, let them use it in proportion to their faith. If it is serving, let them serve. If it is teaching, let them teach. If it is encouraging, let them encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let them give generously. If it is leadership, let them govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let them do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. A word of prayer. Father, thank you for your words to us this morning. Uh, May our hearts and minds be open and attentive uh, to hear your voice. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, it's another huge, huge chapter with, uh, you know, as I say, if we're trying to do it all, we get um, indigestion, so we're not going to try and do it all. You'll be pleased to hear, otherwise we'll be here forever. But uh, we can try and pull out some of the riches from this, uh, from this chapter. And as I said, you know, Paul has, um, you know, the first 11 chapters have been rich with theology, and now Paul becomes very practical. And he begins with 
With a therefore, and as, uh, as we've noted before, whenever you read uh, therefore, you've got to ask, what is it therefore? And uh, it's because Paul has told us some other things. He says, therefore I urge you, in view of God's mercy. So what Paul has done in the first 11 chapters is just laid out God's mercy, what God has done for us. And I love the last few verses of the previous chapter, chapter 11, that having, having kind of laid all of that out, Paul then just sort of explodes into this just wonderful paean of praise, like the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Paul is just, as, you know, as he's reviewed God's mercy, he is so just blown away at what God has done and astonished at what God has done. Uh, if you remember um, a couple of weeks ago when we were back in chapter 8 and we were just thinking about, you know, what is it that Jesus has done for us? Uh, what is it that Jesus has done for us? There is now no condemnation. We are forgiven. Our shame and our guilt is gone. We're adopted into God's family. We have our perfect Abba Father as the head of our household. Uh, All things are working together for our good. That's his promise. Whatever's going on in our lives, God is working for our good. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's the, the riches of God's mercy that Paul has laid out before us. And now he's saying, okay, you've seen what God has done. How are you now going to live in view of God's mercy? How are you going to respond? I remember at the age of 17 when I gave my life to the Lord, uh, having realised what Jesus had done for me on the cross and thinking, well, Jesus has paid this sacrifice for me. What else can I do with the rest of my life other than live for him and seek to serve him and seek to surrender my life to him? In view of God's mercy, how else can you live? Once you've seen it, once you've understood it, how else can you respond other than by giving the whole of your life in his service? Which, as we've noted before, is why Paul begins the letter by introducing himself as Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ because he's realized that's the only thing to do when you've when you've seen what Jesus has done for you the only way to respond is respond is to become a servant and that's what Paul says so in, I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies let's stop right there offer your bodies this is um uh, it's an extraordinary thing a lot of the people that were sort of sat there especially the uh, the Greek Christians who were there in this little gathering, would have been scratching their heads. Because it wouldn't have made much sense to the Greek way of thinking. Because the Greek way of thinking was material things bad, spiritual things good. So if you want to be really spiritual, what you need to do is get rid of material things. And there are other religions still around where that's the, that's the goal. Spiritual up there and material things, physical things, they're bad. You need to get rid of those things. And so much of our own thinking and our own culture has been influenced by a Greek way of thinking. So, 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 so often people think, well, well, spiritual and physical, they're separate. So I can live a very spiritual life, but that doesn't need to impact 
what I do with my life. I can do what I like with my, with my body. That's up to me. I can do what I want. But I can still have a, a spiritual life. And, uh, and Paul just blows a complete hole in that way of thinking. And it's a very Hebrew way of thinking. Because for the Hebrews, there is no separation between spiritual and physical. In the beginning, God. And then God created And creation was an expression of his love and God is in all that he has created. That's why the son of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Because it's not just a sort of spiritual, ephemeral bit of us that needs salvation and needs rescuing. It's the whole of physical creation that needs salvation. That's why God's son became a human being. Uh, That's why the physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead is so important. It's not an optional extra. The idea, well, did it, was it physical or wasn't it physical? Maybe it was just a spiritual thing. No, it was the physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Why is that important? It's because spiritual and physical are combined. You can't pull them apart, which is why Paul says, offer your bodies. Very deliberate. It's not just offer yourselves or offer your souls or offer your mind. No, it's like offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And uh, people have in mind, they're familiar with the sacrificial uh, system at the temple. You take your, your lamb or whatever it is and you take your lamb to the temple and you offer it as a sacrifice. And what happens to that? Well, it dies. It dies. You don't get it back. It dies and then it's burnt. And you don't even, you probably don't even get a little urn with your ashes. It's all gone. That's the, the idea of sacrifice. What Paul says, offer your bodies. So, in other words, our response to the gospel affects everything about us. It affects the way we think, it affects the way we live, it affects our desires, it affects our impulses. It needs to be worked out in every aspect of our lives. Uh, some of you will have read a little book by Brother Lawrence. Uh, practicing the presence of God. He was a, a, a French monastic who, who he, he worked in the kitchen of a monastery, but he wanted everything that he did to be an offering of worship. So whether he was peeling spuds or, or weeding in the garden, he, he was intentional about this is my offering of worship. Everything he did. So whether our lives involve things that are very you know, practical or whatever it is, everything that we do is worship. You know, we gather together on a Sunday morning for communal worship. But when we go home, we should still be continuing in worship because everything that we do is an expression of that, which is why it says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. We offer everything. Uh, The gospel is not just an add-on. It's not just, well, well, now I've got my ticket to heaven, so I'll tuck that away in my back pocket And I'll just live the way I want to live. I'll just blend in with the crowd. Because that's easy. Always easier to blend in with the crowd than than stand out. So, well, I'll just tick my, I've got my golden ticket. I'll tuck that away in my back pocket. I have trust in Jesus. I'm going to heaven. No, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that the whole of our lives are impacted. And the only response to what Jesus has done for us is to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And the way that that's... You know, plays out, does make an impact in the way that we live. Sacrifice is costly. Living for Jesus is costly. Living for Jesus means making decisions not to follow our, you know, our, our natural desires. Earlier on in chapter 7, Paul has said 
that our flesh wars against our soul. They are in conflict. So to offer our bodies uh, as a living sacrifice is to go into battle with our own flesh. And it's to deny ourselves. When I became a Christian at the age of 17, my flesh wanted to go in all kinds of directions. But I read the gospel and I offered myself as a living sacrifice. And I understood from God's word that so many of the things that my flesh was crying out to do, I had to say no to. Because that's the sacrifice. That's the sacrifice. You say, well, actually, this book is my authority. This book tells me how I should live my life. There are many things that, I, that seem attractive and that I would love to do. You know, don't speculate. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's, that, you know, that's our flesh, isn't it? Our flesh wants to, and I'm like, but no, I'm going to deny myself. Because I'm offering myself as a living sacrifice. I'm not going to indulge those things. It's costly. And as we'll see if we ever get to verse two, uh, we'll see that, you know, the impact of that. But this is the first point. It's, it's our bodies that Paul says. He says, it's not just, you know, do what you like. And as long as you go to church on Sunday and say your prayers, that, you know, that's, it's no, it's offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Every aspect of your life, offer it to Jesus. Is what you're doing with your life an acceptable sacrifice? Is what you're doing honouring to God? Is what you're doing honouring to God? Uh, Would Jesus be pleased to see the way that you're living every aspect of your life? Now that's, that's challenging, isn't it? That's humbling, that's sacrificial. That's why it's good that we have forgiveness and repentance because we fall short so often, but that's the goal. Am I living my life to honour God when I'm, you know, when someone cuts me up on the motorway, am I honouring God in my response? Uh, whatever it, you know, whatever it might be. Am, am I, is that it? And then, uh, this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. The world has a has a pattern and the the, the sort of the implication of the Greek is that it, it sort of it changes. It's like there are fashions and fashions come and go. And Paul's saying don't just you know go along with the latest fashion in society. Don't let that be your guide. Uh, don't conform to the pattern of the world uh, but be trans be transformed. Uh, which is why when, you know, some of the sort of controversial subjects that the church is engaged with in the, at the moment about, you know, gender and sexuality and how we express that are impacted by this. And impacted by Paul saying, offer your bodies as living sacrifices and don't conform to the fashion of the age. I don't know if you, there was a headline in the news yesterday. I just, um, I didn't read it in detail. I just picked it up. But it was a headline that the, the, um, uh, uh, sexual, sexual disease services in the NHS are at breaking point. They're almost overwhelmed because, of, because we've said, well, actually, I can do what I like with my body. No, there's, there's, uh, God has created us with an intention for the way that we should, uh, the way that we should live. And that affects, you know, that affects, and this is this thing of do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. 
Remember, this, uh, this letter is being read initially to a group of maybe 20 or 30 people meeting in hiding in, in Rome. There's a mixture of you know, slave and free Greeks and Romans, and they've all got different ideas of how to live and what to do with your bodies. And, and Romans had a very liberal understanding of what you could do with your body and a very liberal understanding of what, of what marriage meant. And uh, the Greeks had an even... Uh, you know, an even more liberal understanding of what, of what you could do. In fact, there's an argument that can be made that one of the reasons for the fall of the Roman Empire was their absorption of Greek values, which destroyed the, um, uh, the family unit, which was the bedrock of Roman society. Well, that's just, I'm going off down a red, uh, down a cul-de-sac. We'll come back from there. But, um, but there's an argument that can be made for that. So Paul is saying the gospel comes in and it radically transforms people's understanding of what to do with your body. And it, and it radically transforms people's understanding of, uh, of sex and how to use sex and where sex should be. And there's also another argument that can be made that uh, the reason that society eventually prospered was because sex was confined to marriage. There's another little cul-de-sac, we won't go down that one. But uh, there's, there's a book been written about the fact that society prospered because of the Christian sexual ethic that came to be adopted and that... God's values were involved. So Paul says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. The challenge for us in our day at the moment is that there is enormous pressure on the church to conform to the pattern of the world. And, uh, and in the last generation, uh, things have become fashionable in society, uh, which are now putting enormous pressure on the church. And much of the church is, is conforming to the pattern of the world. And it's and it's and it's all very novel and it's all very recent and we're you know we're throwing out thousands of years of you know tradition and thousands of years of our heritage and saying yeah but we want to do this now don't be conformed to the pattern of this of this world how do you renew your mind do not conform be conformed into the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind how do you renew your mind we've well, got to put different information in. You know, all, our, all the time, it's the world that is feeding us information about, about how to live. You know, everything that we, you know, we watch on TV or stuff that we read, it's the world's values. And, you know, just think about how, how intentional are we about making sure that we're feeding our minds with God's way of thinking and with God's truth. And how much of our time is spent feeding our minds with, with the ways of the world? And probably for most of us, it's a very small percentage feeding ourselves with God's truth. And it's a massive, because it's around us, it's around us all the time. So Paul says, you've got to be quite intentional about this. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to feed your mind with, with truth, with God's truth. Otherwise, it's never going to happen. Because when you do, well, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. So, you know, um, you know, why do I passionately believe that, you know, marriage is for one man and one woman and the only place for a sexual relationship is within marriage? Not because I think it was a good idea, but because God thinks it's a good idea and it's, and it's in his word. Well, how do I know that? Because, because I've tried to fill my mind with his truth and with this book which is inspired. And if we don't believe it's inspired, well... Well, then we can, you know, we don't have to take it seriously and we can look at other things. But if we do believe it's the inspired word of God, and that's what it says about itself, then it has authority. 
And yeah, we have to you know, wrestle with it and seek to understand it. But to my mind, as I've read it, I can't see any other way of reading God's plan for us that he made male and female and marriage as one man and one woman to the exclusion of all others, till death us do part. And the only place for a sexual relationship is within marriage. Is that something that my flesh rejoices in? No. To be honest. But I've offered my body to the Lord as a living sacrifice. So I make choices about how I live. And I don't go with my flesh. I sacrifice my flesh to the Lord. And I don't seek to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of my mind, which is why I make reading this book a a daily discipline. Because I want my mind to be informed. So so Paul is, oh gosh, how are we doing? We're only on verse two, aren't we? Never mind. We're going to, as I say, we're not going to do the whole thing in detail. But, um, but this is the most important thing. If you get nothing else out from this morning, it's, it's in view of what God has done, the only appropriate response is to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And that means all of us. And so, you know, the implications are, are then spelt out in the rest of the chapter. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Okay, it's human nature to puff ourselves up and to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Why do we do that? Well, because we need an identity and we need to be secure in our identity. And the way that we build our identity is by what we think of ourselves and what we think other people think of us. So often the world, what we think of ourselves is, is not great. Uh, often we have a very low esteem and very low opinion of ourselves. So, so that doesn't work. So then we need our identity built up from what other people think of us. And so if people think well of us, that builds our identity. So we puff ourselves up and we present ourselves perhaps as being more than we are. And we compare ourselves because if I can find someone who's worse than I am, then that makes me feel good. <laughs> uh, when I find someone who, who's, who's, who looks better, I'm like, oh no. But then I can find someone who's, who's worse than me. I'm like, well, I'm all right. And that's the, thing that we, that's the thing that we do. But when you know that you live in God's household, remember we looked at the, um, before in um, chapter 8, when you know that you have God as your Abba Father and your identity comes from him, that as uh, the Father said to his son at his baptism, that you are my son who I love, with you I'm well pleased. And when we come to Christ, that's what the Father says to us. Uh, you are my son, my daughter, uh, with you I'm well pleased, I love you. When we have that identity, then we don't have to puff ourselves up by pretending that we're better than we are, which is why we don't have to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. It's, it's this beautiful thing that so often even the church makes a mess of. And so often in the church, churches fall apart because people are jockeying for position and think they have rights. And um, one of the things that I love about about our little chapel here is is this there's just there's none of that there's none of that at least I hope there isn't have a word in the afterwards if you feel there is but well, well I've just said after 13 years there's none of that there's no no one is kind of you know jockeying for position or think well I should be doing this or I should be doing that it's I think we un- we understand that actually it's it's God first it's Jesus first and uh, and we just we we love and what we should be doing is is cheering each other on, which is, you know, he goes through these different gifts, doesn't we? We all have different gifts according to the grace given. To, and then he sort of outlines some of them. And, and what you should be doing is rather thinking, well, this is my gift. You know, so don't you, don't you try exercising. It's mine. I'm going to do it. It's like, you know, if you see someone else has got the gift, you're like, you want to kind of cheer them on and say, yes, use that, you know, use that gift. 
You know, I know, um, you know, Olivia has a lovely gift of, I know other people, just of hearing from the Lord and sometimes having words and, and pictures and having that kind of prophetic gift. And we want to rejoice in that and, and cheer that on. And, and, and Dee has this lovely gift of just sharing faith through befriending and, you know, telling people about Jesus. And, you know, we all have kind of different gifts. And now I've started this, I've picked one or two people out. I'm like, oh, oh, what about me? Didn't mention me. Oh, you're all going to go off in a huff now. Well, I haven't got time to go around the whole room. But, you know, the reality is we've all got different gifts that we're good at. And, and the body is, is depleted when we're not doing that. And we just want to, you know, we want to cheer each other on. And Alan is just the most, he's just the most brilliant elder. He really is. I couldn't, oh dear. And Ian, Ian as well, when he was here, was just the most servant-hearted, sacrificial, supportive people that you could that you could want. And and all of you, you all, you know, you're all like that. You all bring different things. And uh, I don't want to point the finger with the thing. You know, if it's encouraging, let them encourage. So you know, this is just a baggy jumper. <laughs> That's all it is. It's a washboard underneath. So, but it's, this is the thing. The family is we, you know, Jesus is the head. And, and the way that we live out, we just, we re- encourage one another. We cheer each other on. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another. Be devoted to one another. It's this in, intentional love. Honour one another above yourselves. It's not the way of the world. It's not the way of the world. It's the way of Jesus. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervour. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Pay, you know, all of these things, they, the world doesn't do these things. It doesn't do them very well. Be joyful in hope. We have a certain hope. Be patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Then it gets even more radical. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. It says verse 18, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Uh, so it's so easy in, you know, when we're riled or when we're wound up to, you know, to respond inappropriately. But in Jesus, we can just take a step back and think, well, how? How should I respond in this situation? Don't take revenge, my friends. Leave room for God's wrath. It's mine to avenge. I will repay. You know, the wonderful thing about knowing that we have a God of justice is is ultimately there will be justice in every situation, in every circumstance. So we don't, we don't always have to find the justice that we long for. Sometimes we can just entrust the situation to the Lord and know that ultimately there will be justice. Uh, it's, one of the problems with, um, it's one of the problems with atheism is that uh, atheism has to accept a world without justice or ultimately without justice. Because in, a, in, an, in an atheistic world, there are many who get away with things that they shouldn't get away with. 
But when you believe in a God of justice, no one gets away with anything. Uh, we have a God of justice. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. You know, so much of what Paul has spelt out in this chapter doesn't conform to the way the world does things. And it's, and it's hard to live this way. But if we are offering ourselves as living sacrifices, it's, it's the way things should play out. And well, why do we do that? Well, because it's in view of God's mercy. Verse 21, last verse. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Peter says in uh, one of his letters that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for who he can consume. Resist him. Resist him. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So the challenge of this chapter is to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And what is that going to look like uh, when we go home this afternoon? What is that going to look like tomorrow morning? Uh, What is that going to look like in everything that we do this week? Is the way that we live going to honour the Lord? Are we going to choose to be sacrificial in the way that we live? Are we going to choose to deny ourselves? Are we going to choose to live counter-culturally? Because in view of God's mercy, uh, that's the only way to live. Uh, let's uh, just turn to prayer for a few, uh, a few moments and um, just ask the Lord if there's, if there's anything particular... Uh, that we need to take away from this morning. Lots of things that we've thought about. Is there a, uh, Lord, is there a particular challenge that we need to hear this morning? Is there a particular encouragement that we need to hear this morning? Is there a gift that you're stirring in us this morning?